0: Welcome to The Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for The Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit, although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just gonna Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Audit Podcast. We are continuing our theme of interviewing all of the Beacon Award winners from 2022. For those that don't know, former IAA CEO and President Richard Chambers puts together a list of thought leaders in internal audit every year takes feedback, and you, you know, submit who you want to, who you think's a a thought leader in the space, and then Richard kind of makes a judgment call on who those are, and then puts that out there. So, in continuing that, our guest today is Sarah I. James. She is, of course, a Beacon Award winner. She is also owner of Getting Words to Work, which is a basically report writing service. Sarah is fantastic at report writing. I'm going to If you don't believe me, especially after listening to the episode or even her previous episode, then you can check out her book, Radical Reporting Writing Better Audit, Risk, Compliance, and Information Security Reports. Follow the link in the show notes and use code RRSJ23 to get 30% off. Also, if you would rather, if you go to our YouTube channel or if you see the clip on LinkedIn or any other social media channels, You can scan the qr code that's at the end of the video and that'll take you there as well the book was also a top seller in taylor and francis's internal audit list as well as we mentioned richard chambers earlier as well as richard chambers internal audit book of the year it's also the book that i have recommended the most to people i think it is extremely important and can add value in a fairly simple way. Obviously, the audit report, a lot of people say that's our end product, our deliverable. And so to be able to effectively communicate our results are extremely important. So, I highly, highly recommend everyone pick the book up. With that said, some of the things that we talk about, is there going to be a new addition to the book? If so, what would it include? And given Sarah's background in audit report writing and communication, pick her brain on chat GPT or any other AI tools that she might have used to assist in her communications or her audit report writing. And then we talk about like, obviously, the audit committee gets the audit reports and all the findings. But what else would you include? Sarah's reviewed over 3000 audit reports, which is kind of mind blowing. So she's seen everything possible that could go into those. And so she shed some light on one of the most unique and one of the best ways to communicate to the audit committee and the board. So that's very, very important piece of the show. And then again, the theme this year's I guess, has been twofold. So we've been doing Beacon Award winners and then also a, a peek behind the curtain of what a CAE actually does, how they communicate with the audit committee, what's their day to day. So from the audit report perspective, we asked Sarah, what's the role of the CAE, like what's the one or two things that the CAE needs to make sure to do relative to the audit report writing process or communicating the results, maybe a better way to say that. And then the last thing we hit on is when we had Sarah on last year, asked her what's the 80/20 of report writing, like what's the one thing that we should do relative to report writing to make sure we do. So this time we wanted to ask a similar question, but it's what's the 80/20 on effective communication. With that said, links to the book and a Sarah's website are in the show notes and here we go. The book came out in April of 2022. We're coming up on the end of June, go. 2023. I don't know how much can really change within report writing in that time frame. but has anything changed since the book come, has come out? Um, if there was to be a new addition, what would you include in that?
1: Great questions as always, and perfect timing because I can announce that there will be a second edition coming out, Yeah, um, planned for quarter two of next year, so two years after the first edition because things have indeed changed, so as we know, the International Professional Practices Framework is moving to global internal audit standards, and the proposed revised standards are out for comment right now, and there's been a lot of discussion about it about them and um, obviously I want the book to be up-to-date and to reflect the most you know up-to-date and relevant guidance from the institute in particular about communicating results and from what I've seen there's some really good stuff in the proposed revised standards they've kept what I really liked in the existing ones um, the emphasis on clear concise accurate and all of those good things when we communicate results one thing I think they're doing that's really good as well is reinforcing the fact that you don't even need a report. You just need to communicate the results effectively. That could be a report, could be video, it could be a meeting, it could be an email, you know, whichever medium works for you and more importantly your audience and your organization. You go with that. So I think that's a crucial principle of sound communication skills and uh, I'm really glad to see that in there.
0: And this might be a a pretty good segue. So I know Rob Berry, friend of the show, been on a couple times, uh, also a Beacon Award winner, which is why we had him on for the second time. And he is experimenting with, and he's he's done this on his Friday Fraudsters uh, LinkedIn live um, show with using AI to create an, an AI version of himself that then reads the audit report or communicates rather the findings and so it's not even him he yeah. like types it up and then he sends it to a program and the program goes yep that's rob i know rob this is rob's face this is how rob moves and now it's going to be a recording basically of rob doing that so with that said have you experimented with any chat gpt or other ai tools to
1: not assist yet with
0: your like communication or report writing or, or what do you think the impact might be
1: i i haven't done it yet Um, I've sort of watched in glee and amazement and curiosity and some skepticism sometimes as other people do it. So I'm seeing how other people are experimenting with it, but I will be experimenting with it a little bit myself, Uh, you know, once we get a bit further down the track and it's a bit more refined, because, you know, just as you have to develop a really sound testing program based on, you know, the risks and controls in a particular area, any sort of AI is only going to be as good as, you know, the parameters you set for it and the quality of the questions you're asking. From what I've seen so far, I've seen some really well written um, report findings, Mm -hmm. where I see there being a gap, and I'm not sure where this is coming from. I'm not sure if it's the technology or if it's the humans not providing the necessary data to the technology. Um, I'm seeing a gap as is often the case, even with humans, in um, root cause analysis. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have sound root cause analysis, you're missing the opportunity to pull together common causes and common themes, which then um, really find their place in the executive summary. So, you know, the building blocks of a report, those findings, I'm seeing some very good stuff coming out of AI. So,
0: Speaking of root cause analysis, because I know you've reviewed, what, if I said thousands of audit reports, that would be?
1: Yeah, latest count, it's over 3,000 reports I've read.
0: So pretty decent sample size, yeah. Um, And and, in those, if there was a top two, maybe three, maybe even one common root cause for any given, we'll just say control failure, what is it?
1: Okay. Um, the most common root cause that they actually put in the reports hmm. is unclear roles and responsibilities. Okay. And I think it's up there with maybe systems.
0: Got it. This so inadequate. Like- inadequate
1: or unreliable well actually they're usually thinking of of they're they're blaming the machines
0: oh okay
1: you know where they have you know systems that are supposed to speak to each other but nobody's actually looked at how to do that it's the classic thing of you know tech is the problem and tech is the savior and yet the humans don't want to take responsibility for it um the unspoken root cause of a lot of things though is culture And I know a lot of people say culture is not a root cause. I can see how it's circular, Mm -hmm. but ultimately I think if you, as I call it, you peel the onion of root cause analysis far enough, you know, people start crying. Um, And (laughs) even with tech stuff, I say it's culture, because if you say, no, the real problem here is we've got this business critical system that hasn't been properly maintained, um, my question is, well, who's not maintaining it? And is it clear who's supposed to maintain it? Oh no, that's unclear roles and responsibilities. Sure. Well, that's governance. Yeah. So who's responsible for that? Um, but if you're telling me that you've been telling management for years that you need funding to either improve or replace this system that is business critical. And if you're convinced that you've been articulating the risks correctly, then what you're telling me is you've got senior managers, senior decision makers who either don't understand risk, no mm-hmm. matter how many times you discuss it with them, or they understand and they don't care. Right. And if those people are at the top of an organization, that goes to risk culture.
0: Yeah, excellent. I'm glad you hit on the unspoken part because that was going to be my follow up question. So, <laughs> job well done on effectively communicating and following up on what that was. Because I was definitely going to ask, well, what is not going in the audit report that is the root cause? So, perfect. Um, and we're talking about communicating these results other than audit findings. And I've talked about this on the show before. The mission for this year has kind of been a, a a peek behind the curtain of a CAE's day to day or what actually happens how do you become a CAE what are the qualities of a CAE etc but other than audit findings what would you report to the audit committee and what and i know situations going to be different for everyone and then what medium would you use because i know often you talk about when reporting findings you can do it in a typical report fashion an email a uh, video message or using a Hologram, like we were kind of talking about with Rob, but what what would that be? What would those areas be?
1: Actually, I I saw a wonderful um aspect of an audit committee report. It was a couple of years ago. It was one client, um, sort of a. Local, as in to the UK, not international financial services organization, and the the then head of audit, who was very forward thinking, the current head of audit is as well, but the then head of audit um, showed me audit committee reports, and first page, exact summary, no more than half a page. Basically, here's the big difference since last quarter, here's what's likely to change from now until next quarter that you need to know about. The second page, and I've never seen anyone else do this in the thousands of reports, and I wish people would because it is such a brilliant summary. What she did was she had a table. And in the far left column of the table was a list of their categories of root causes, So it could be different aspects of people. So it could be recruitment, retention, training, morale they reported on, Um, systems, you know, and the different subcategories. What's the problem with the system? It could be governance, Um, all sorts of things. I mean, there weren't that many root causes, maybe 10, and then in the subsequent columns next to each root cause, they gave how many high, medium, and low findings in the previous quarter were in each were you know, linked to that root cause. So you could see if you had sort of 27 high or red rated findings are against a particular root cause. Well, actually, that's something the whole organization needs to be aware of. This is yeah. a major problem. And, you know, they, they were color and text, but they'd really thought it out well. It was very accessible so that people, you know, would easily be able to, to view it even if they had um, – you know neurological or uh visual conditions at least the table wasn't making things worse yeah (laughs) you know so they thought about that and it was just a one pager of yeah okay you want to know about the findings but we're telling you which findings are telling us where the fires are
0: yeah yeah i like that a lot Um, it was really
1: good you know it's just one page that told us so much and I, I just wish everyone would adopt that
0: hopefully the folks that are listening will adopt that then I've seen something similar oh good um and so it was root cause on that left left hand column like you said but then they they kind of mapped it to the given audit during that quarter okay so they had like their common root causes and then they would map it and so you could see if nothing else you could see on like you would have to do the count yourself, but you could kind of see the trend of this is the, this root cause has the highest count across all the other root causes, basically. So it kind of hits similarly. Yeah, uh, I'm probably going to go back to them when I talk to them next week and go, hey, how about this brilliant idea? What if we did it like this? <laughs> so I'm definitely. Gonna but But that.
1: I like that other idea because that's a really good way of saying, well, you know, if this root cause was, predominantly present in these, you know, audit engagements, it's a good way of seeing is there a pattern of it's in a particular division, or a particular entity, or, you know, is it with particular processes, you know, what's the problem there? Yeah. So I mean, that's another way of slicing and dicing the info in a really useful way.
0: Yeah, these are it's a global organization operations all over the place, everyone kind of does their own thing in each area. And so they do look at a lot of by process. So it is helpful to look at it and go. Uh, we'll just say AP because it's so common. This is the root cause across AP in these five areas, uh, for yeah. example. And you go, okay, well that's clearly an issue that we need to to fix specific to AP and that root cause. So maybe we'll just uh, maybe we'll tweak it a little bit then with the guidance from Sarah, I, James. Well, continuing along with the CAE role. Mm-hmm. What is, and I know it's different if you are, if you have five people in your organization uh, or in your audit department, the CAE is probably a little more hands-on and doing some actual execution, uh, controls testing, et cetera, as opposed to we have a thousand people and they're probably yeah. not going to do the details as much. So different spectrums here, but what's the role of a CAE in the audit reporting process?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> Um, And I think the most important thing is on the one hand set a high standard and say, look, we want every draft, if we are going down the report route, we want it to be our best effort um, and as relevant and concise and tidy as possible. Setting a high standard, though, doesn't mean everyone has to copy my style yeah. because a lot of CAs think it's that. It's absolutely not that. It's the total opposite. I think set a high standard also means remind people of the importance of plain language and accessibility. So I alluded earlier to, you know, do you have tables that people can read or, you know, are you just using color coding and forgetting that some people are colorblind, in right. which case, you know, the traffic lights aren't going to help them very much. Yeah. Um, And I think, really, for CAEs, once they've done that, they've said, you know, high standard, principles-based, remember, plain language, accessibility, just step back and look at the big picture. Because where I have seen CAEs who are reviewing reports, they get bogged down in fixing typos. And they miss the fact that everyone on the team has overlooked a system that's not picking up OFAC violations. Uh And you have to say, guys, um, yeah, it's great to fix the typos, although actually, you know, the writer should be responsible for that. Don't you have higher level things to be focusing on?
0: Yeah. Where would <laughs> you, know, you put- The
1: strategic side of things, really.
0: That's it. And I think that kind of alludes to my next question. Where would you put the the idea, or the mindset of the CAE putting themselves in the shoes or looking at the perspective of the person or the person's stakeholders, we can say- That are going to read the audit report and go, let me look at it from their perspective and almost write it to hit from their perspective. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. And it's something I do on my training where I say, you know, think about everyone who reads your reports and they immediately think the most senior person in the area I'm auditing and I need to get it past my line manager. Yeah. That's all they care about. And then when you start saying, well, actually, let's look within your organization, you know, you could have group HR and group technology or heaven forfend group legal looking at your reports if things go badly wrong. Um, Externally, you'll have third-party suppliers. I mean, I'm a trainer. I see the reports. You've got your regulators, your external auditors. You've got law enforcement. You've got courts. Um, If you're public sector you publish the reports in many jurisdictions. So anyone in the public can read them. Um, And one of my favorite websites is the GAO, the Government Accountability Office website. I love their recommendations database. Um, And there's actually a list of restricted reports on there as well. Um, So yeah, I think everyone though not just the CAE, but everyone needs to be thinking of, what are other people's assumptions and priorities and objectives when they read the report? You know, people either need to do something or think differently about something when they read something. Yeah. That's the only two reasons they're reading it. And are you writing it in a way that the widest relevant audience, both internally and externally, needs to read it only once and they know exactly what's going on? And auditors forget that. I think even within audit functions, people don't always think of risk the same way. You know, how can you expect somebody outside the function or outside the organization to see it the same way? So yeah, I think the CAE needs to model that and say, we're here to provide assurance to the organization. And that means, you know, keeping a lot of different perspectives in mind, not in order to, I'm going to be very blunt here, to pander to them or to tell people what they want to hear, but to think, right, how are we going to phrase it so they immediately know what's going on and they want to help fix it?
0: I know last time we talked, I'm a huge fan of 80-20 or what's mm. the one thing, what's the most important thing? Because we can get so bogged down in the details if we just work on the one thing or that 20% that's driving everything else at top 20%. I think it, it simplifies things for a lot of folks. It certainly does for me as uh, maybe someone that's who's a little over analytical sometimes. So the no last such we... thing, no <laughs> such thing, my friend. No. The, the, the last time we talked though, uh, we talked about the 80-20 of report writing. What's mm. the 80-20 on effective communication from your perspective?
1: I was thinking about that and I came to the answer very quickly and then realized I'm not always very good at doing it.
0: Yep, I, I, I get that.
1: And it, it ties into what we were just saying. I think 80% needs to be thinking about the audience. Again, not in a spirit of how can I make them feel happy and toss the rose petals at them and you know make them not object to anything, but how can I give them something that is relevant to them in a way that they understand and that aligns with their priorities. Um, And then the 20% is me, Mm. but um, I'm not very good at doing that sometimes, like many humans, you know, I'm I'm very interested in what I'm interested in and what I want to say.
0: (laughs) The book, of course, is fantastic. And I know you've written, I know in prepping for this, I just went to your website and you have a link for publications. And I went, sweet, I'll just read this and I can come up with questions. So I know you've got a lot out there. How can we find you? How can we learn more about you? Where can we find the book? All that kind of good stuff.
1: Uh, good stuff, indeed. Thanks, Trent. Well, I... Um, I am very happy to offer a QR code and a discount code to people who would like to buy the book, the first edition. Uh, You can get 30% off until the end of September if you go straight to the publisher's website. That's Routledge, Taylor & Francis, CRC Press. Um, And so my understanding is that Trent will be making the QR code and the discount code available. And have a look at my website as well, sarahijames.com, but again, Trent will make that available well so visit my website there are recordings on the landing page there is um, lots of information about conferences i've spoken at i'm going to speak at Um, there are loads of publications there so have a look at some of the articles and of course get in touch with me either via linkedin or via the contact form on the website if you would like uh, to know any more or get in touch with me about training